0: Hello, I'm Richard Long, Executive Director of the Learning First Alliance. The Learning First Alliance is a partnership of leading education organizations representing more than 10 million members dedicated to improving student learning in America's public schools. We share examples of success, encourage collaboration, and work towards the continual and long-term improvement of public education based on solid research. Today, as part of our public schools week, February 21 to 25, we have as our guest, Stephen Langford. He is the chair of the board of directors of COSIN, the consortium of school networks. Additionally, he is the chief information officer for the Beaverton School District. Stephen, just kind of to get us going here, what brought you to being a leader in using technology for education?
1: My career started out in higher ed, actually. And so I was fortunate to be able to see students begin applying technology in ways that they could show what they've learned very differently. When I moved to K-12, I got to watch that again with a different group of students. And I think for, for me, I've always been intrigued about technology's ability for students to demonstrate their learning in new and expanded ways, and also the impact that technology can have to accelerate learning and change the way staff work.
0: That's really an interesting answer. Changing how staff works, how are you seeing that playing out during the pandemic? That was probably
1: the most significant impact from the pandemic to our work was technology was always important, I think, in our day-to-day work. But when schools closed in Oregon in March of 2020, we all went home for a year. We had overnight to rethink how we did our work as technologists. That impacted every staff member in the organization. Teachers had to rethink how they would deliver instruction in a completely virtual manner, and they had no time prepare. So for me, I think this impact to work, the the thinking about what work looks like into the future for our staff, we have a number of great lessons from the pandemic about how technology can change the way we do our work, change the way we interact with each other, and also hopefully bring some efficiencies to K-12 organizations.
0: In, In terms of efficiency, how do you see that engaging. I mean I'm hearing stories, one level kids during the early part of the pandemic really liked being online and they could get their work done in, in just a couple of hours and, and then work on projects versus others where discussions about bandwidth is just another measurement of something else they want and need. So how do the efficiencies playing out? And
1: Yeah, I think in a couple of ways, what you talked about it, with students, certainly we saw that as well. And we saw the challenges with that students being online and then not having the interpersonal interactions. And so there was maybe some efficiency in learning, but there was also a cost. For staff, I think we saw great uh, efficiencies. We still are in Beaverton, a pretty heavily based paper and process organization. And when, again, uh, the governor closed schools in March, 2020, and we had one day to prepare. And so for our 5,000 staff members, they had to reimagine this paper-based process with no longer having access to the central office or a school. And so... What we learned out of that was when you can take processes and move them into a digital procedure or process, you get efficiencies and change management for us had to happen in a very compressed timeframe due to the urgency. But we're seeing some of those in terms of procurement efficiencies, HR processing efficiencies, certainly payroll Moving those processes when we had to into a, an online format greatly helped our organization. And it's, it's work that's continuing now, even though we're back to in-person instruction and work.
0: Hey, You mentioned earlier that you have some uh, 54 schools in your district and six of them are virtual today and all will be back in a, in a couple of days. How is your school district managing these, you know, Uncertainties using the technology.
1: The Omicron surge has been very challenging for school systems around the country, and Beaverton's certainly no exception. Our staff shortages were very real and extreme beginning in January, and we were seeing student absence rates of up to 30 and sometimes over 30 percent of the school. And so for us, the way we approached it was we needed to look at data every day the superintendent meets with cabinet and i'm a part of that meeting and we examine multiple data points in terms of student absences staff absences how many of those each are as a result of positive COVID. so we can start looking at trend data for schools and It's a discussion rather than just letting the data drive the decision. It's also a discussion about what's happening in the school. Are we seeing reports from school staff that cases are increasing and it's spreading throughout the school? Are we seeing that maybe many students who are out are coming back because they've been in quarantine? So for us, it's a pretty complex process we undergo every day and without access to real-time data, we would be literally in the dark to try and know if uh, COVID is spreading through schools or if we are starting to see it move the other way. And fortunately for us, the last two days, we've seen numbers start to plateau and students and staff are coming back. And for us, at least it looks like as a school system, these decisions were wise in stopping the spread.
0: Well, it sounds like that you're putting meaning on the number in in a, in a very enhanced way and you're using the numbers. You hear all of these things about metrics in sports and here we have an example of the giving meaning to the metrics in in the education. Several of the people I've talked to on other podcasts are talking about the social emotional issues. And you you mentioned the cost. You get an efficiency on one level and you have cost on the other side. Is there movement in your profession on monitoring social emotional well-being using data? For us and
1: everything at, you know, courses in the context of the last year when students were in full remote, we saw student engagement challenges, students who were isolated, maybe in their room without a camera on and and when anxiety took over would just check out. And there was really a, not the greatest tools for us to be able to know that. And, and our staff did a great job of trying to reach students who were experiencing anxiety and depression as a result of being isolated. When we knew we were coming back this fall, there was a renewed focus on Not just addressing, kind of assessing where students were in their learning and make sure we provided interventions and extensions for that. But there was also a focus based on the realization that students needed, we must address the mental health impacts. So we put behavioral health and wellness teams in every school. And the purpose of those staff is just to assess and address social emotional needs and they have been very positively received in our organization. Was something interesting when the six schools that went remote over the last two weeks for us, we were worried that students would revert back to not wanting to put their cameras on or not engaging a class. And we saw just the opposite because of the, I think the students being together in the fall, there was this understanding that they had of how important it is to stay engaged. And reports from our teachers is they were surprised because The way students are interacting with technology now in a remote setting is very different than a year ago. And I think it's because students, maybe they don't even realize it, are engaging because of that need to be in community and and be together. And so for us, that was a very positive impact over the last couple of weeks as as we had to make really difficult decisions to move schools into remote.
0: It strikes me in listening to how you talk about this is that there's a fluid boundary between the concept of technology and essentially the human aspect of this, or high tech, high touch. I- Toffler did talk about way back when in, in Future Shock. How did that boundary come to be so fluid? I think that's a great
1: observation. And I think that We can look back in time to see how it's changed. And an example of that would be when I first started in K-12 in Beaverton 15 years ago, we took students to technology. There were buildings had these things called technology labs and we got kids in line and we marched them down and we did technology as, as if it were a separate thing. We never marched kids down the hall to do math, right? But we did for technology. But over the last 15 years, technology has become just ingrained in the way we learn, the way we do our work, the way we interact with each other. And I think that has created this fluidity, like you said, it's also destroyed the aspect that technology is somehow this separate thing. Technology now is hopefully starting to become invisible. And it's just a part of how we do our work. I use the ATM machine analogy with our developers all the time. Like there are no instructions on an ATM machine. You just walk up and know how to do it. When we build technology solutions, they have to be that simple. And I think what we're seeing in the industry, in education and, and the broader technology industry, is that technology is not this separate thing. It's, it's how we do our work. It's how we learn. And it's how we interact with each other.
0: I think, too, that I... I've read about the Spanish flu and how schools responded to that. One of the things that I found interesting was distance learning was a practice during that time, too. Teachers would mail assignments to their students and paying for the postage themselves, mostly in urban settings. But here, schools would be out for sometimes two weeks sometimes a month. And so you had that renewed touch occurring versus the way we've had to cope with this, which has been initially a very long-term shutdown of the touch part. We know there are gonna be other challenges like this for schools, whether they're pandemics or flood. Go back to higher ed and that you're giving a lecture. What you'd want everyone to have gleaned from this experience that will be being applied five and 10 years from now. That's a tough question.
1: But as I'm thinking about it and and replaying the last year from my observation of what I saw in classrooms and how teachers worked, I think the lesson has to be that learning can and should be much more flexible, maybe than what we've imagined in the past. I think we have great teachers doing great work. And when they were challenged with moving everything overnight to a virtual world. They had to be ultimately flexible and students did too. And when we think about how students can demonstrate learning, we need to apply that same layer of flexibility that we had in the last year. We moved from a system maybe that had a certain way of doing things and a certain way of, well, I know a student has mastered a learning target because of the assignment that I've built. And moving to a more flexible way that students can demonstrate what they know is going to benefit the student. And hopefully it's going to help the teachers as well by letting them give some of that agency to the student. And what I'm saying here is not that that's already happening, but I think it's the magnitude. We already have teachers who have been doing this for years. We all in our school systems and we know that, but it's the system itself Moving from more rigidity to more flexibility, I think is the learning out of situation we've been in.
0: You also, we're coming to the end of our time before we get to record part, mention the flexibility that you're experiencing. You're working in a, your chief technology office, chief information officer for the school district, but you're also working in a classroom. How is that going for you?
1: It's probably going better for me than many of our students that I'm (laughs) working with. But this is something that in January, I remember on calls with my colleagues around the country as staffing shortages started happening nationally, we had to keep schools open. And so that meant doing whatever it took. And as I mentioned, I have spent time every week. I am in a classroom serving. And that's not part of my job officially, but we have to be flexible. And that is what is needed. If people cannot supervise children, there is a safety issue which impacts learning. And if it's the choice between we've got to be more flexible and IT professionals and others in the, the system have to go change roles, then we have to do that. And so what's great, I think, in this is we're not seeing an unwillingness by many in our system. There's a realization of we must do what needs to be done so that students can continue to learn and teachers can continue to teach.
0: I think that's an incredibly important statement you've made here and also one that offers a great deal of hope. Because you've done that and no doubt your work is actually going to benefit from having been touched by those kids and seeing kind of the demands of 2022 and how they impact learning. So good for you. So in closing, anything you want to uh, leave with us?
1: I think that the last two years have been incredibly hard. For our students and staff, both uh, on a professional level for educators and those working in school systems, and for students who are navigating challenging circumstances and having to think about how to stay engaged in school in ways they never had to prior to the pandemic. That being said, I think there was a ton that we learned about the schools, about the education system over the last two years. And I think our challenge now is to not try and get back to what was, even though there's a great desire to get back. The challenge need for us as school system leaders needs to be, how do we take what we have learned, the very best that we've seen over the last two years, and push it forward and imagine something even better into the future.
0: Thank you, Stephen Langford of Beaverton School District, Chair of the Consortium of School Networks, COSIN. This has been informative and exciting, thank you. Thank you.